0: Welcome back episode four Calar to Casting. I've got a, I've got a real I've got a real rip here for episode four, haven't I? i have got Sam Black, Uncle Sam Black, Sam Blackballs. You guys buy many names. Sam, welcome to the podcast, mate. How you doing? Mate, it's a pleasure to be here and um, I'm excited to
1: spend a bit of time chatting
0: to to you, mate. Excited. Yeah, we um I guess before this lockdown, we we obviously spent a lot of time together. I work with Sam. Down at Henderson Advocacy, very similar role. Sam's just on the phones, terrorising, uh, mate. How's lockdown trending you? Yeah, it's really good. Nothing's actually
1: really changed for us so much. Um, I haven't really looked at it in a bad way. I've just adapted to it. Um, you know, I'm doing a year sobriety this year, so it's actually made the sobriety a lot easier by not going out, but still exercising, still working hard, and um, you know, just looking forward and enjoying life.
0: Good to hear, man. And you've written quite a novel uh, when we look at the Chronicles of Sam Black. So quite a bit to delve into. And Black, tell us where it all started, mate. You obviously, you, you floated around as a child in Brisbane, Tasmania, even a little bit of time in, in Syria, I think it was, mate. Tell, tell me a little bit about the upbringing.
1: <laughs> mate, I'm our only child. So my mother raised me. Um, my father wasn't around. So I grew up with my mum, very loving um, mother she was we didn't have much money but always you know provided the lifestyle and I guess the opportunities to be creative so we lived we lived in a place called Cedar Creek where I actually had a home birth so I wasn't born in a hospital um, um, lived there lived in Cedar Creek till I was 11 or 12 I think um, you know I had the freedom of of going down to the creek fishing for eels um you know i always had animals horses goats ducks chickens dogs um always outside i wasn't actually allowed to watch tv when i when i was younger so it was um it was it, i guess it made me create a bit more out the box you might say um i went to a school called Steiner school which was a different way of teaching it was more um I guess creative—that's if, if that's the word. Um, instead of learning the ABC on a on a you know on a whiteboard, we used to paint um, the letter ABC and then do like a A, paint an apple or whatever represented a, the A. Um, and throughout the week, you know, the whole class painted the ABCDEFG etc. And we used to go around the class, and that's how we learned ABC <laughs> or the alphabet. <laughs> that's Already just I- one little.
0: One little snippet of how we used to learn. I've, I've already learned a couple of <laughs> new things about about black, the home birth, and now the creative upbringing down down to Steiner school, and obviously spent a bit bit of time on the farm with the dog Rusty. eh?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, well, Rusty
1: actually came into our life a bit later, but we had from so mum was a, a an an artist, but also a art conservator, so she used to fix. Old paintings, um, books, all these kinds of uh, belongings that belonged in the in the museum. Um, so we actually, she got, got a job down in in Tasmania at the Art, uh, what was it called? Queen Victoria Museum it was called. Um, so I spent you know four four years in Tasmania, um, and from there, mum actually met a, a jordanian man um and we went and lived in jordan for 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 a while they were going to get married um, so yeah i went over there when i was i must have been 13 or something like that it was before september 11 before all the all, all that kind of stuff started um, so we yeah it was quite an interesting time um, you know i was just so used to it because we travel. my my mum, um i guess traveled a lot with with myself you know then to tight we lived in Thailand for a little bit, um, traveling to New Zealand, uh, England, a couple of other countries. I can't remember. Oh, it was so, I was so used to like always moving around. So, um, yeah, it was such a great adventure and went to Petra in Jordan. That was amazing. Actually went to Syria before it all got no, bombed. Um, so it was just a, it was a really amazing time in my life and so lucky to have that experience.
0: And being 13, growing up in Jordan, obviously uh, not not a standard thing that happens for a young for a young Tasmanian. What was that experience like? Uh, like I mentioned, it,
1: it, it.
0: I guess it was normal
1: to me. Um, at the time, you know, we were the only white people there. So always getting stares from, you know, the, the village people. Uh, I remember saying, like, these three kids on a donkey just walking down the road, and one of them had like an AK-47 in there in his, in his arm. Um, but the most friendliest people had a had a really amazing time. Um, you know, learn how to hunt, um, watch the watch the uh, the way that people live over there. Um, very kind people. Um, the food is amazing, um, but unfortunately, it, it didn't really work out because they didn't. Musa and my mum didn't want me to grow up in. In, in, that sort of environment, I guess it was, you know, they, they exactly didn't look at Westerners the best. Um, so um, they were going to get married and move back to Australia, but unfortunately it didn't, uh, didn't work out. So moved back to, moved back to Australia. Um, and then in year 10, I moved back to Queensland where mum quit her job and that's where I finished high school. Um, and that's where I started my career as an aircraft maintenance
0: engineer and before we jump into working as an aircraft maintenance engineer what was school like for you because obviously you bounced around um how was your experience at school in general
1: yeah look I'm an I'm a introvert at, at heart I guess um I've always I've always been a little bit thought differently than other people always always done my own thing always always got along with other people than the popular crowd. Like I was always, I'd never got, I didn't really get bullied that much, but I was never like the most popular kid, but I was always in different groups at school, always interacting with different people, always liking the different personalities. Um, <clears throat> so I really liked, I really did like school up to about grade 10. Um, and that's when I started getting a bit over it, but I really enjoyed the, the learning process and um, putting Putting myself out there and getting more knowledge and, and finish school
0: and jump into uh, aircraft, ma- becoming an aircraft maintenance engineer. W- what entices that decision and how, what was that experience like? Yeah, so at the time, I
1: never, I always thought that being in an office was, was definitely not for me. I was always really good with my hands at metalwork and woodwork. Um, really liked maths, but definitely struggled with English a lot. So um, I guess the, the way that I was going was becoming like a chippy or, or a plumber or something like that. Um, and then the opportunity arose that I went to this uh, aviation college, tried, tried to get in there, passed the test and did a year of study. Um, and you could either become a structures engineer, like so sheet metal worker, or mechanical, and that's fixing like the engines, flight controls, turbines, all that kind of stuff. And then there's avionics, which is obviously the electrical side. So, yeah, I really like the, uh, the structural side because I like, you know, building with my hands, building structures, drilling, all that kind of stuff, um, and that's the avenue that I went down. Um, I had a – so I had a girlfriend at the time, and I was going to actually move to Adelaide to do my apprenticeship. So I went over and did work experience – um, and I did that for two weeks. I got the job there, but then another opportunity arose to um, do an apprenticeship in in Brisbane at Alliance Airlines. So that's where I ended up doing my, my apprenticeship, and yeah, it was a really good time. It was um, working with – I never had a father figure in my life, so for me it was about surrounding myself with – with people, I've always looked up the people that are sort of better than me and um, know what they're talking about, and I always like to push myself. So there's lots of different types of personalities in the aviation industry, and I always surrounded myself with the best tradesmen in the in the hangar.
0: And d- during that apprenticeship, obviously, uh, there's was, there was a lot of traveling that which I want to get into, and you, you traveled the world, so. Talk to me about the travelling, mate. How did it first start and where whereabouts did you end up going? Because I know there are a few trips where you travelled really across the world.
1: Yeah, so obviously I think maybe just being so young and seeing the, the world with my mum, that sort of opened my eyes up a lot. Um, after my apprenticeship, because I had a goal, I guess, I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, doing your apprenticeship, you have a goal in place and, um, you know, it took four years to get there and then once you get there it's like oh what's next so once i you know finished that there was always something in my mind that i wanted more like i've always believed there's more more than life than you know going to work nine or five so i quickly learned that at a a young age um and so after my apprenticeship i had a bad breakup essentially um and i and i just one day one day cracked it and said called up my mate um who was going to europe and I said, "Oh, I'm coming with you." He goes, "Yeah, sweet." So the next day, I, um, no, sorry, a few weeks later, I handed in my registration, booked my book my flights to, to Europe, and spent four year uh, four months in in Europe. Um, running with the bulls was was the opening, I guess, few days of our of our trip was, which was pretty insane. It's um in Pamplona and there's a tradition that goes on there every year where they shut off certain parts of the street um, and then they let bulls down and you just got to run with them. And um, they essentially get in their way.
0: They, <laughs> What was that? And hope they don't run you over and kill you. And yeah, kill you exactly. Over. I remember,
1: I remember this one, I remember this one um, this one guy, I was running, and you just, like, you don't see them. You just hear everyone, like, yelling, and you get the, you're getting faster and faster, and then your heart starts getting more pumped up, and you're like, oh, when are these things coming? And then you see these, like, massive bulls just coming out of nowhere. You're like, holy shit, this is insane. And then you see, like, they're just, like, coming, like, rah, coming past. And then I remember this one, because everyone wears, like, scarves and, like, white clothes and red scarves and that. And this guy had a scarf on and this bull picked him. I don't know how it didn't like stab him in the neck, but it got through his scarf in between his um, and his cheek. And it just dragged him for like a hundred meters. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on? It was so insane. Um, And then, and you let, so the whole idea is you have to let the bulls run past you and then you run into this big stadium. Mm -hmm. Um, So eventually got to the stadium. It was just like gladiator. It was like, People in the stand, there's like I don't know, it must be like fifty or sixty thousand people just screaming, just going nuts. Um, and then all the bulls get put in the back, and then everyone runs into this stadium. And then what they do, they just let one bull out, and it just carves people up. So you, because there's so many people, you don't know where it is, and then you just hear this, Wah! The whole crowd goes nuts. And then the and then the 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 crowd parts, and then there's this massive bull running towards you. And you have to like sidestep it. Um, and that I only lasted about 15 minutes in, the, in, in that and that was enough for me. And then I jumped out. So yeah, that was the, that was the first trip and uh, the first couple
0: of. And, you, and, that, and that happened the first couple of days. <laughs> yeah, you, that um... was
1: that, that was insane. And then went to, went to EOS in, in the Greek islands, yeah. spent a l- little bit of time there and then I ended up traveling on my own um, and I guess traveling on your own teaches you a lot as well. Um, you know, it's a little bit scary at first, um, not knowing where you're going, obviously being in a foreign country, not having any friends there as well. But it also teaches you how to be um, resilient, but also put yourself out there to actually go and talk to, to people that you'd never really talked to. Um, and then, yeah, so for about two, two or three months, traveled all over Europe um, and had some amazing times
0: Mm. and there are multiple trips of course but let's focus on this one in Europe so yeah you start off with the running of the balls and then you go to EOS with your mate separate paths and you start traveling by yourself and uh, as you mentioned very daunting how do you go about it how how do you plan out a trip when you're by yourself yeah well for me
1: especially Europe it's a bit of a it's a bit easier traveling than say like South America or or Central America or India. Um, so there's like a bit of a backpacker trail, I guess. And I used bus about, which was a hop on hop off sort of service. Um, and that pretty much just went all over Europe, taking and you could plan your trip where you wanted to go. So I went to I think we went to um, Ibiza, then Spain. off oh, yeah, Spain, France, Germany. Amsterdam, uh, back down to Turkey. So I did a um, a sail trip that went for about a week around Turkey, went to Croatia, did sail Croatia. Um, I've forgotten all the other countries that I've gone to, but yeah, it was a lot, a lot of it was partying in Europe. Um, But there was also some sort of places that we went to, went to a concentration camp in Germany and that was a, it really made you think about life and how lucky you know you were it was such a it really put you back in your spot of you know all the carnage and the and the hatred and the and the 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 evil that went on there and um so that was that was quite touching um love germany such an amazing place all the food there's amazing um i'm just trying to think it was such a long time ago you often uh You often forget how much how much you've done.
0: (laughs) No, I can definitely imagine. And then after that Europe trip ends, is there something that put an end to that trip that made you want to come back, or just sick and tired, sick and tired of traveling, wanted to come back and work again? Yeah, like after four months, um,
1: you get a little bit homesick. Um, Then I yeah came back, and the whole idea was to I started work again um, at the same place. Um, got back with my my same girlfriend um, and then worked for another sort of eight months and it was it was weird because it's going back into like a normal life and you've had all this freedom and all this um, ability to do whatever you want and now you're stuck at this nine to five and by then I'm like I didn't see myself being an aircraft maintenance engineer anymore Um, I learned that going to work every day, hanging out with people that didn't want to be there. The first thing you hear is off, oh, you know, F this place. What a, what a shit morning, blah, blah, blah. You know, it just, it's a bad place to be. Breathing in aluminium dust, lots of chemicals. Um, fixing, fixing aircraft is definitely not good on your health. Um, doing lots of grinding, drilling, sealing, all these things are carcinogenic and you're breathing them in. Um, and I knew that all the chemicals that you use, but you think about the money, right? Like I'm, I'm earning like at the time, I think thought 50 bucks an hour was really good. You know, I could do, go out whenever I wanted. Um, but yeah, I just knew that that wasn't the path for me. And it took me, it took me what, six or seven years to get out of it, out of that routine. Um, but yeah, so I, stand, I ended up working for probably eight months and I was going to buy a house. Um, and then had another really hectic breakup and that just pretty much shattered me. So I literally, literally did the same thing, but on a lot shorter spectrum and just called up, called up my work and I went to work cause I think that happened on the Saturday, went to work on the Monday and I said, look, I've quit. I've already booked a, t- uh, a ticket to um, to South America. Um, I'm leaving in two weeks. <laughs> cool and they're like well, what do you mean I'm like yeah sorry I'm, I'm out of here I'm, I'm going they're like are you coming back I was like oh I, I don't know like I, I booked a one-way
0: ticket so wow <laughs> okay well we'll get into that but but that eight months going working in a job that you don't like with people that are dragging you down um how how, how did you make do how, if if it, because it sounds like it wasn't an environment that you enjoyed being in. So, what what's it like going there every day when you when you don't want to be there? Yeah, look, it's not like
1: a, It's not like I was dreading life or anything like that. Um, but I was just in a bad 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 headspace, you know. The yeah. So I was coming to work every day with, I guess, the, the negativity of not wanting to be there. Um, and I was living for the weekend, essentially. Um, that, was, that was my escape, you know, waiting for the weekend, um, going out, you know, getting pissed or whatever it was, um, and then coming on to Monday and doing it all over again and listening to the same conversations and not really going anywhere except for your bank account slowly going up um, and, you know, hoping to buy I buy a property down the track, um, and for me, it, it it just sort of got the better of me, I guess. And um, yeah, figured that look, if I work, if I work for the rest of my life up to sixty, earning, you know, sixty to a hundred grand a year, am I am I ever actually ever going to get ahead? Like I did the calculations, and it. And it just didn't really make sense to me. So that, at, at that stage, I was like, no, this is this is something that I a route that I don't want to go down to. And I used to look at the older boys that had been working in the industry for like 40, 50 years and going, hey, you need to get out of this industry. This is cooked, blah, 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 blah. And I didn't I don't want to be that old, you know, being so hateful. <laughs> so that was a big deterrent. Um yeah. Anyway, had another bad breakup, and then yeah, booked that ticket to to Central America, and that's sort of where the adventure started in uh in in Medellin. Oh, sorry, went to we went to uh, Miami for three days, and then yeah, flew into Medellin into Colombia.
0: In Medellin, uh, being <laughs> the home of Pablo Escobar.
1: That's right. That's right. It was um such a beautiful country. Um, a lot of. A lot of partying, but also a lot of um, exploring the beautiful side of, of South and Central America. We actually met um, Pablo Escobar's brother, Roberto Escobar. He, um, <laughs> you could go to you could go go to one of his old houses where <clears throat> he used to hide out. There used to be like, there's all that bullet bullet holes and. Um, and photos, and where, and then this little secret uh, fireplace, which like turned around, and that's where he actually hid when the police raided and they um, were trying to look for him for, for Pablo Escobar. Um, oh, and wow. then, so yeah, Roberto Escobar, it was <clears throat> so we actually met his brother there, and um, he went to jail. And a letter bomb that someone sent like a, a letter bomb, and it actually blew up like when he was in jail. <laughs> and it, it blew up in his face, and so like when you met him, you could see all like the scars on his face. <laughs> yeah, it was Dude. pretty insane. Well, um, so so when, yeah, was he...
0: like Roberto guiding you around the house? Is that how it worked, or he, he was just there at, at while you're at one of? Pablo's yeah, like you could
1: do like a tour of the house, and then he was just he was just there with his I think his daughter or something like that was there as well. So you could just walk around the house freely, and then you could um go talk to him, but he couldn't. There was an interpreter, so you could ask him questions, and, and then there was it. I think his daughter interpreted. Wow!
0: Did you get any? So did up. you get any words of wisdom from Roberto Escobar or something? Any takeaways from that no,
1: conversation? I, I can't. I can't remember the conversation, but it was. I think he told the story about the letter bomb. Oh, the letter, the bomb that was in the in the letter that got sent to him.
0: <laughs> loose, <laughs> loose. Oh. So you say so, yeah Colombia uh, what was that sorry so you go Colombia where, where to from there what was that journey like um, so we spent we spent probably like
1: three or four weeks there. no about three weeks um, different capital cities um, then we traveled we traveled mostly by bus all around Central America uh, South America went to Ecuador Peru Chile Argentina Um and then Uruguay. And so I went to like Iguazu Falls, which was amazing in Brazil. Oh, Brazil, of course. Went into the Amazon, lived in the Amazon for like a week, um, fishing for piranhas and swimming with like the pink dolphins. Um, that was pretty incredible, actually. Like you just flew in on this dodgiest plane. Like it was so scared flying on this plane. I thought it was going to crash and then you land on this like dirt, the runway and then just like in the middle of the jungle. Um, and you know, and then there was like a tour group sort of thing and you j- jump on this like little boat and just cruise down the Amazon and then you stay on this hut like on the on the river. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah that that was really incredible. Iguazu Falls that was amazing. The salt flats in in Bolivia that was that was insane. Scuba dived in in um, oh uh, Galapagos islands that was crazy um then all, all the food all the uh all the adventures all the partying of course um and yeah it was i learned a little bit of spanish it's such a great culture over there everyone's so friendly and you know, everyone thinks it's really dangerous there obviously are parts that you stay away from but yeah you know, we partied in, in the favelas in in rio for for um for carnival it was uh, so what's carnival you know. like mate insane insane it's um just millions and millions of people on the street that just party for like weeks on weeks we were there for th- 3 or 4 days i think and it was just the con- like it's just nonstop so <clears throat> what happens is there's lots of little street parties. So you can go to all over the all over the town and um, just go to these like massive gatherings and then everyone's just drinking on the beach. Um, lots of dancing, lots of uh, just just craziness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you've lived you see you've lived in you parted in the favelas, lived in the Amazon and for this second trip, obviously there was a pretty bad breakup that enticed it getting a one-way ticket to south america south and central america was was that tr- something you were trying to find or is it like was there like a or was it more of an escape or was it like a journey to try and you know figure some stuff out
1: yeah it was just a journey it was a journey like i was i was so confused i guess i was confused where i wanted to go in life um I always knew that traveling was really important, um, and that was just the uh, that was just the um, I guess the trigger to make it all happen. Um, I've always, I guess, it was it was always there in the back of my mind. I never sort of had the the guts to you know quit my job because quitting your job that you're so used to and earning good money for me was a big decision. You know, um, there was security there. Everyone thought I was insane. Like, how can you leave? Like, what are you doing? You just going to like this country in South America, like you're going to get your head chopped off. Um, like, like, are you, are you insane? Like everyone thought I was crazy. I was like, look, this is, this is the path that I'm going down. I'm going to, and I'm going to love it and enjoy it. And uh, it was like the best decision that, I, that I've ever made. Um, you know, I just met so many amazing people, met I learned so much about the about other cultures and uh, how people live and how lucky we are in Australia. Um, and I don't know, it just it just opened my mind up to be a bit more caring for people, a bit more loving and but also the the ability to not be scared in life, you know, like I I, I think um, well, especially for me, there's certain parts that I in my mind that I find scary, but it's just in your imagination. So um, it, it definitely made me a stronger person and who I am today. And, yeah, it, it was such an important part of my life.
0: Gold. And, okay, so you, you travelled through South America. How, how long was that journey altogether?
1: So that was six months and then – so we spent six months in Central uh, South America. Then we flew back to, to Colombia um, and crossed the, like, the San Blas Islands, sailed across um, to, to Panama, to Central America. Wow. Um, and the, the <laughs> when we sailed across, it took about a week. Um, but when <laughs> we sailed across, we had a big night before, and we had to get up really early and go on this sailing boat and they had this massive storm. Like the captain said they'd never had swell like that big for like 20 years. Uh, so it was like, t- it was like 10 metres swell. It was ma- I, was like, I was like, is this bloody joke? And we had to like take um, shifts of driving the yacht. So I had, to, I had a shift at like two to three in the morning, like just this, this it, like you used to just look down and the whole boat would just like go down this massive wave and you'd go up this wave. And I was like so hungover. I was like, "This is the worst." I was like spewing <laughs> up. <laughs> but
0: um, wait, so they, that- let, they let you steer a boat? Do you have any any experience? Like, you, And you were guiding. How many? How many people were on this boat?
1: Ah, uh, there would have been. I don't know, probably like 15 or
0: 20 people, I reckon. So, so 15 or 20 people have just trusted <laughs> hungover men that they've never met to sail them across from Colombia to Panama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I just don't was, ever see that happening in Australia. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because obviously the captain, um, he briefed us on what we have to do and everything goes wrong, like wake him up or anything like that. Mm. Um, like you pretty much just had to like keep on track of the gps and everything was fine but uh yeah i was happy for that night to be over because um the rest of the trip was really pleasant and um it was sort of like through the sandblast islands, it's like sort of like lost a ruster ferry, and so you'd rock up to these islands and people like big dreadlocks and smoking weed and it was uh it was, it was a funny time
0: <laughs> wow and adam that's just so you know we've had a lot of conversations like you but some of the stuff you're saying is just brand new and so that's a lot of countries that you've just listed off it out of all of them that you visited someone traveling where, where would you where would you recommend them to go uh
1: look every, every country is completely different like central america i absolutely loved like we went from panama then all the way up into um mexico um so look, Mexico was amazing, had such a good time there. Um, Brazil was insane, Argentina, the women there are just like next level. Um, and then, I'm, you know, I've surfed in Fiji, I've surfed in Cloud Break. I don't know if you know that wave, but it's a massive wave. Um, surfed that, the most craziest wave I've ever been on. Um, so it just depends what I guess you're into, you know, like the food over in Europe is amazing. The culture there, Um, it, it's too, it's, I don't know. I, I don't have a top, I don't have a, you know, the top country because everything's so special to me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a, bit of a back backhanded question. <laughs> what, what guides, what guides a journey like that? So you start in, Medellin, and what 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 guides you through? Is it just the the way that the bus goes? Is that is that how you decide yeah. where you're going?
1: Yeah, you sort of like you sort of pick out a route of where you want to go. You say, I want to see as many countries as possible, um, and you have a you have your like your Lonely Planet guide book and you go, look if I if I go here, we'll spend a few days here, then we'll go here, then this place looks good here, and then you sort of just draw a little map and then. You just go, each day is different. That's the beauty of it, not knowing where you're going. Um, and you meet new people. They're like, oh, we should go here. This will be really cool. Um, so then you go hang out with these type of people, um, meet new friends. Then, you you know, you go to another group. And that's the beauty of travelling on your own because you, you see places that you never think that you'd ever see before, just of hidden gems and having those conversations with, with random people.
0: <laughs> mm okay and i can imagine i that that makes a lot more sense because when people say like traveling changes you when, when you're meeting such different people from such different cultures and traveling and living with them it makes a lot more sense to, as to why your mindset would shift
1: yeah exactly and you know you look, like i i was staying in backpackers so you learn how to live with with you know four to six sometimes ten people in a small room so you learn how to respect people's um, personal space, but also how to be clean and tidy, um, and it's the adventure, you know. It's the unknown, which is uh, which gives you a bit of a bit of a thrill. And um, it's just to me now. It's, I guess it's a bit. Uh, it's so distant. I, I, I've forgotten so much about it. But um, yeah, I think it's the unknown. That's that's mm-hmm. the beauty of it.
0: <laughs> that sounds pretty dope. And obviously all good things have to come to an end. So when did the end of that journey, when, when did that journey end and go, coming back?
1: Yeah, so I did. So we, we travelled from in Central America for another four, four months, mm. um, ended up in Mexico. Mexico was just insane. It was just, uh, I just love it there. Like we dived with whale sharks. That was one of the most incredible experiences of, of my life. Um, Dived the 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 this like um, deep hole in it's called the deep hole I'm pretty sure in Belize it's this massive I think it used to be an ex volcano um, <clears throat> and you scuba dive over the top and then you just like it's like this deep massive hole that you just keep going down and down and down and you, you know, scuba dive with bull sharks and all these kinds of things which is uh pretty insane <laughs> oh, yeah. um, so. Yeah, ended in Mexico, and I was gonna stay in Mexico, and I was having a conversation because um, I met up with one of my friends in Mexico, and I was like, "Oh, where should I go?" I was gonna stay in Mexico, and then he's like, "Oh, you should come to Europe." So we flew back to Europe, and we did a season in Eos, um, in the Greek Islands, and that's just one big, uh, one big, one big party, pretty much. So after a few months of that, I, I, I was ready to come home and. Um, and then got back with my girlfriend again. Actually, so it was a bit of a it's like a four or five year adventure. So got back with her again, um, and then we ended up traveling India together for uh, for six months. <laughs> so
0: I, got I, definitely, back. I definitely want to talk about India because we've talked about <laughs> India a lot. But okay, yeah, just just to piece it together for people hearing this: six months in Central South America, then another four months. Yeah. So that's so 10 months there and then you ended in Mexico, you've had enough of Mexico, you've had enough of it and then you go to Europe and then you come back. How long are you back in Australia for?
1: So I came back, so I travelled in total for about a year and then came back pretty much to see my mum actually. So I caught up with her for, a, I was in Australia for a month, just sort of, I guess, got all my things in order. By then I... Um, by then, I I wasn't like going back to aviation at that stage, um, and then yeah, decided to go to um, to India with my with my like uh, my, not she wasn't my girlfriend, but we decided to go to to India together and travel, um, and so yeah, that India's just that insane, crazy place, so beautiful, so lovely, but so so Great. polluted, poverty insane it's uh, it. you you're either lover or hate it it's um it's pretty intense like it's a really intense country and it takes a lot out of you so um if you don't adapt to it if you don't just accept how it is you, you're gonna have a really troubled times there um everyone everyone looks at you everyone just stares at you like the further north there's not many white people there so i remember just eating like <laughs> this like curry once and um this old lady she just like look at me like for like 20 minutes straight i was like what like what's going on like what the hell i was like starting to get like a little bit annoyed Then she just start laughing at me and i was like it's quite intimidating i guess a little bit mm-hmm. at, at times um
0: everyone's so or did you yeah. find out why like, she was laughing
1: <laughs> nah she's i don't think she'd ever seen a white person before so that's probably why because <laughs> we went pretty remote up into the north so um <clears throat> that's that's probably why uh but like just insane country, like anything goes, there's no road rules. The, there's like um, cows, cows are holy over there. So um, they're like, they're just like dogs. They just roam the streets. I remember the first day when we got into Delhi, we were catching a train somewhere and this huge bull just comes onto the uh, comes onto the, the railway line. There's like trains going left, right, centre and this huge bull just comes and starts trying to eat people's food and that, and like to me, I was like, "What?" Like if that happened in Australia, it would have been like chaos. Like people would have been running everywhere, and it was just, it was just normal, you know. <laughs> so, so bull's just,
0: like A cow's just walking around, and people are just like, "Yeah, no, not not a cow, a bull." Like this thing's like massive.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then it just comes up and tries to eat people's food, and people are just like chewing it away. It's like it literally looks like a pet dog sort of thing. Um, and yeah, and then. it's really dirty over there like in the cities like there's like plastic everywhere pollution everywhere people just like feces everywhere dead animals like in in the streets um just it it smells a lot um but there's a beautiful side to it as well um the culture there the the people the um just the environment everything everything's interesting to look at (laughs) there's never a dull moment
0: and just just a quick question, like, people, like, y- you mentioned that you went so remote to a point where, like, you were, like, the only white, one of the only, the, an old lady was sitting like a white person for the f- first time. Like, is, is there, like, a point where you're, like, you know what, <laughs> maybe <laughs> I shouldn't go there because, like, we hear stories of, like, hey, don't go backpacking because, like, this, this, and this will happen to you or someone would chop off your head, like, do you, do you not put a cap on where you go? And is there, is there never a fear of I might die?
1: Yeah. Look, I think I, you always hear about the stories, right? So the, the bad things in life, Trump, the, the best things in life. So I often you know you always hear these stories of traveling and sure it does happen. Like it, a lot of bad things do happen overseas, but it also happens in Australia as well. And, you know, in these first world countries, um, so I, I don't know. I think you just got to be maybe unlucky. Who knows? I, I, I never want. There was a few times where I, where, where I was endangered, but um, throughout the times of traveling, but I never felt like, like I was gonna like lose my life or anything like that. Or maybe I was once or twice, but that's a story for the pub.
0: <laughs> There's a story, <laughs> or a Russian man and hitting him off his <laughs> yeah
1: that was, that was that was a tough time that one but um
0: yeah tell that, me a little that, tell me a little about it because like, that, that's <laughs> – how'd that go down so uh, in,
1: so this was actually in india and in india there's lots of russians because it's cheap to go travel there um and so i was on my on my scooter and there's no road rules whatsoever not not like, you can do whatever you want Pretty much people just like pull up their truck and do a U-turn in the middle of the highway. Like it's, it's just chaos. So anyway, I was behind this, this, this bus and I went to go take over the bus. And um, just up the road, there was a bit of a corner. Um, plenty of like, there was plenty of time. If you go on the normal speed, you would have had time to, um, to like obviously see me and slow down. So I started taking over this bus and then out of nowhere, this guy on this, on this like Harley Davidson, was, oh they're Enfields, they were called. And he had his girlfriend on the back. And he just comes flying around the corner, like in the middle of like the road, pretty much. And I was like, oh shit. So I slammed on my brakes, got behind the bus, and then I just hear this like like crashed i went, like, oh shit so i looked behind and then this guy like obviously seen seen the bus seen myself and got and got scared and like lost control and like crashed little did i know that the rules are if someone crashes you stop and if they get up and they're alive you just keep driving like i didn't know that was the the common rule um, I was told later. So, so if they walk,
0: uh, you pretend like it didn't happen.
1: Yeah, it does. Doesn't happen. Like it's just, <laughs> and you get having your day. So, um, what? so I was like, alright. Oh. So I stopped and did a U turn. Um, and I was like, pulled up, and this Russian. He was like, I don't know. He must have been like six four, bald head. Just starts going ballistic at me. I was like, I was so scared. I was like, Oh my god, this guy's crazy. He's gonna kill me. And he just started going off about like how his how his uh, how his bike's damaged, and his girlfriend's in the bush, like all cut up. I was like, Mate, like we need to like help your girlfriend here. He's like, Nah. Just starts going off. Like, give me money. Give. I was like, Look, look. By this stage, there's like probably like ten Indians. It's like like a bit of not a fight circle but they just surrounded us like oh what's going on here like a bit of commotion and the, and I was like oh my god and I was trying to tell girl I was trying to tell this guy to like help his girlfriend anyway and then he snatches the keys out of my bike and I was like ah oh, fuck here we go this is this isn't going to end well so this this argument went on for like another 10 minutes and I'm like mate you just need to calm down Miss his girlfriend's still in the bush, like, bleeding. I'm like, hey, let's get you. what will happen? You get her on, I'll take her to the hospital, it'll be all fine. He's like, nah, nah. just starts going, I don't know how to do a Russian accent, but um, just going ballistic. And then I went, I was like, oh, fuck this, I'm over it. Went to go grab my keys and he just, like, pushes me, like, just, like, chucks me back. Like, oh, and then I was like, all right, this is getting serious. By this state, this is probably going on for, like, 20 minutes now. By this stage, it's probably like 40 to 50 Indians just like come out of the woodwork and just a big circle and they're all just talking like, "Oh, what's happening here? There's two white <laughs> people about to fight. <laughs> and, I, and I go to one of the Indians. I'm like, like what am I supposed to do? Like, Because most Indians can speak English. And he's like, oh, you just need to get your key back. And I was like, oh, fuck. So I was like, bro, give my key back. And in my head, I'm like, this guy is absolutely going to destroy me. Like one... One, one hand on my skull would crush my skull instantly, <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> this guy was massive. <laughs> anyway, so I was, in my head, I was like, I'm just going to have to try to, like, fucking knock him out with one punch. Otherwise, I'm going to, like, you know, get killed here. And um, so anyway, I was like, no, nah, that's not a good idea, Sam. So then I just kept on. So <laughs> well, like, you got to it him. Gonna...
0: <laughs>
1: so I was going to. So then I just kept on um, negotiating with him. I don't know what happened in the end, but he ended up giving my keys back. I think I said, look, I'm gonna get your girlfriend in the back. So um he gave my keys back and I just said jumped on and just like drove off. Eh? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> just did so just you legged it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I legged it, bro. And um well, the in well, what what I found out later was that because the Indians told me to go, like there was literally like, you couldn't get out of this circle, it was like a big mm-hmm. fight circle. And I asked the Indians, I'm like, Man, what am I supposed to do? He's like, you need, you just need to get your bike back and, and drive off. So, um, <clears throat> that's what I did. And then I went to, so later that afternoon, I went to one of my friends who'd been living in India for like 20 years, been going back and forth. He was an expat. And I told him the story. He's like, Oh, he just started laughing. I was like, what? He's like, Oh, you, you made the most stupidest decision. You, you you don't turn back and go to see how, if they're, if they're all right. Yeah. Are you insane? Like, are you stupid? I was like, well, that's what you do in Australia. They're like, no, not in India. These, these things don't happen. That's how you get badly hurt. And he goes, the only reason that you got away was because the the Indians make up the rules sort of thing. So if they believe that whoever's in the wrong, they'll just, they'll blame oh. the person. So they believe that I was in the right and I had, and it wasn't my fault. Otherwise if it was my fault. They would have, they would have like kept me there. And if I tried to run away, they would have bashed me or something. <laughs> that's 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 how disputes are handled over in india there's no please like please don't give a fuck or anything like that
0: i'm speechless (laughs) i'm I'm like i'm speechless okay so let's let's i'm sure that we could talk about stories for the rest of the day but i'm trying to piece this together so you quit your job yeah i'm not you get a ticket and you, you go in on a monday and say hey mate i'm leaving in two weeks time see you later you go to Central America, study in Medellin, the home of Pablo Escobar, meet Escobar's brother, travel travel around there six months, and then like an extra four months. And then you go to um, Greece, enjoy Greece. Overall, that's like a year. And then you come back to see your, see your mum and then go to India six months. Just a side question, like all that adventure, surely like, Like how do you how do you have these like how do you have this endless sum of money? Were you working while you were over there or
1: no? So I I had a deposit saved up for my for my house that I was gonna buy. Um, and essentially I was literally about to buy a property like within a few months before quitting and going to to central to South and Central America. So I had a fair bit of a deposit saved um, and then I spent all my money on um, travelling.
0: <laughs> but you managed to like keep it for 18 months. Like, that, that itself is pretty impressive. Yeah, look, India is pretty cheap.
1: So I think I spent maybe like 15 or 20 grand in India for, for six months and then I spent maybe like 40 or 50 grand in, in Central and South Europe. So whatever that
0: adds up to. Mm.
1: So back you can you can backpack pretty cheap
0: if you're not. What's like a general guide? So like if if I was going to go to Europe, like how much would you save up for like let's say a month of travel in Europe?
1: Um, you you, I don't know, like twenty grand a month in. You can get by with ten grand a month in in Europe. Okay. Yeah, but you know if you had. If you had like twenty, twenty, thirty thousand, you know, for two months, you you can do most things, and you know, drink and eat whatever you want, and go to cool places, and stay in and stay in backpackers, you know.
0: Mm, okay. Now yeah. coming back, so that's that's eighteen months that you spent a bit more um, traveling, experiencing the world, and then you come back to Australia. What what's it like reintegrating into culture here
1: yeah look at I guess that after the matter of time I was a bit not over it but I was definitely missing home a lot um the end of end of India I actually learned how to surf um I was not in a bad headspace but uh I guess I got stuck in Goa so that's a bit of a party place there for a few months. And then I got in a bit of a bad headspace of where I want to be in life. Um, you know, I wasn't traveling with with, with uh, my ex girlfriend at the time, so I was on my own. And India can get pretty lonely. So then I sort of went down south, and I wanted to really learn how to surf. Um, so I got in, so I learned how to surf in India. Um, got into yoga in India, and that's sort of where I respected my body a lot more and believed in health. I've always been big on health and fitness, but um, the last trip, the last couple of months of India was more of a, not a spiritual awakening, I'd say, but a bit more of a, a direction in where I want to be in life. And, and surfing is something that's completely changed my life and um, made me appreciate how special, you know, how special this this gift that we have that we call, you know, that we call living is. Mm. So, um, yeah, got, got back to Australia. Then I started, then I was contracting. So contracting means that you, you subcontract to any company that has work. Um, and this was in the aviation. So I was just traveling all over Australia pretty much, just living out of hotels and going to work. Um, and so I did that for what must've been like another four or five years, I think just, um, yeah, traveling around Australia and working in different locations, meeting different people. The good thing about contracting, I liked it because after like three or four months working in a place, you could fuck off and go somewhere else. So it never got boring. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I, yeah, um, and but that's how I found uh, that's how I found Newcastle, and um, yeah, Newcastle was was a place where I fell in love with I guess and for the first time in my life I was like this is where I want to live this is where I want to set up my life um, I can really see myself you know not settling down but being being in one spot I guess
0: <laughs> mm, that's actually something that I wanted to ask so in, in the whole time traveling was there was was there a place where you're like you know, not th- this could be home or yeah I was, was just... I was
1: gonna go I was gonna go live in Mexico
0: oh sorry mate you did mention that you did mention yeah that.
1: No, like I was gonna permanently go live there. Like, I, I no, like when I when I got back to Australia after a few years, there was a there was a there was a goal in my head. I was like, oh, I'm actually gonna go live in Mexico and um, go go surf there for an indefinite amount of time, <laughs> and and maybe and start work and learn Spanish and live that kind of life.
0: So, what pulled the pin on that plan?
1: Uh, Newcastle. Really? Yeah, yeah, Newcastle, because I um. Never been in Newcastle before. Got a got a job at the 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 Air Force base there, um, and I was working on the F eighteen fighter jets. Um, yeah, and just I don't know. The first time I drove into Newcastle, I saw the ocean, um, and I was like, "This this is home." So set up base. Yeah, I was you know the ability to surf every day and kite surf every day and. You know, and I think I was working four days a week, so it was a good lifestyle. Mm.
0: And, but that eventually had to come to an end, right? Because now you're in sales so, um, and you're in the buyer's here. And just before we get into that, you talk about like you're quite introverted. Um, obviously, travel would have helped with that. I'll write down a few words here. Like, when I look at you today, Black, like you're a very disciplined man. Uh, you're exercising t- like twice a day. Um, you- you're actually pescatarian now as well. So you eat fish, you're not interested in meat anymore. Um, very disciplined, man. You're waking up for 4.40 is it every morning? You're meditating Wimp off every day. Like, how-, how did that switch come about from like all the travel, all the partying, like <laughs> really just lo- loving life to being as well sober? sober over now for over, over ten. What are we now? Nine months. Like, where does that switch come from?
1: Yeah. Look, I think um, discipline sets you free, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I always, I always had the, uh, I guess the not not the knowledge, but the the gift of the unknown and not having any structure. It actually. Plays on your mind a little bit as well, and I guess after a year and a half of travelling, I was I was a bit over of not having any structure in place. So for me, I really enjoy they're like tiny little goals each day, and if you can tick them off, that it's a it's a little bit of a mindset change and and a and a few points for your for your mind to go. Hey, look, we're kicking goals. This is we're achieving something today. Um, and this is just through the education I've done, I guess, through listening to different people. I'm always trying to learn, uh, new, new habits of life and new ways to make your life better and more, and more successful, but also a more easier journey. So you can achieve the, the things that you want in life.
0: Powerful. And now you're contracting in Newcastle, um, Still in the aviation field, four days, four days a week. How how did the change come about to where you are in this field now?
1: Yeah, well, like I mentioned,
0: uh,
1: I guess earlier in the in our conversation, I always knew there was something bigger for me. Um, so I forgot to mention that. You no know, earlier, <clears throat> earlier before I moved to Newcastle, like I actually like. I wasn't in contact with my dad at all. Mm. Um, I had a lot of hatred, I guess, within myself, and I didn't really know where this anger came from. So I actually did a lot of work on myself and ended up doing this um, this work called Landmark, and it's a way to live your life more empowered and um, achieve the things you want, essentially. Um, so I ended up doing this work, and I got in contact with my dad, which was, it was a massive thing for me, you know, like being out, Being able to accept that this guy's in my life now and calling my dad, I could never say dad. Like I hated the word saying dad. If anyone asks what my father did, I said, oh, no, I don't don't have a dad. He's never there. So um, being able to accept that, you know, he wasn't there in my life and me thinking that he didn't love me or whatever it was and stories that you make up – being able to get over that and acknowledge it and then create a relationship with him. Like me and him are best mates now. So that was a big turning point for me. Um, now having a relationship with my little brothers, like my two half-brothers and two half-sisters, um, it's, that was a bit, like I mentioned, that was a big turning point. So from there, I knew that aviation wasn't for me. Um, coming to Newcastle, that's where I met Jack, obviously, um and that was the exciting part of of this new chapter in my life
0: oh <laughs> yeah and just before we progress so the work with landmark was that did that come about from wanting to um get more from life like knowing there was more from life
1: it was more about me and my mom never had a uh, i guess an open communication we all were well, there was lots of she was so loving. She was like the best mum you'll ever you'll ever meet. Um, but I was very, I guess, secretive of of telling her things, and there wasn't much communication. There was lots of there was always lots of bickering here and there growing up. And uh, she did her best, you know, raising a child on her own, not having much money, not having any support but being able to provide the best life for me that she could. And I'm like so proud of her and, and I love her to bits. And so she did the most amazing job, but that, you know, I guess when I was a bit older, you know, being a teenager, I thought I, I thought I didn't need, didn't need anyone. And the relate, not the relationship broke down, but the, you know, she, she felt like she didn't have a son that she could talk to essentially. So, um, she no she got me onto this uh onto this onto this work and yeah it was just uh it was just a different way of thinking instead of me thinking that my my dad was a complete asshole I, I changed my way of thinking of you know what my dad he had a choice things happen in life I don't have to think angrily towards him I don't have to think negative towards him I can think positive and I can have a relationship and from that change of thought process of Opinion of someone. I've, I've created a, a relationship that's fucking amazing, you know, mm-hmm. and I've carried that on. I've carried that on into where I am today and the decisions that I make. And it's all about learning, right? You are, mm-hmm. I'm not perfect. By no means, I've got so a long way to go. Um, you're always learning, always trying to push yourself. But it's just about having a having a tool belt and a few tools extra on your tool belt helps, makes the job a bit easier.
0: Very powerful, man. Very powerful. Um, and that kind of sounds like the turning point there then, really. So from from Sam Black that um, love, loved the party, loved the drink and just kind of was into aviation, um, doing something that he didn't really Like, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, man. Like, if I'm not saying anything right, please tell me. To someone now who isn't drinking anymore, um, at least for this year, um, is waking up at 4.40 every morning in a job that is passionate about, would you say?
1: 100%.
0: In a job that is passionate about working, like, 12... I see how hard you work, like, working from the moment you're up to 6.30, 7 at night. Um, But... Another thing I wanted to ask, like, uh, I wouldn't say, would you say sales came naturally to you? Definitely not. <laughs> the yeah,
1: complete so- opposite, the complete opposite. <laughs> and all I knew is that I had to surround myself with, with, uh, with great people, you know, and that, that started from, I guess, as, as a young age, as when I was doing my apprenticeship, I always knew that I had to surround myself with with better people than me so I can learn off them um, and then I guess the beauty of YouTube and being able to listen to you know all the amazing people that put out great content um, one of the biggest messages was being being in a, in a circle where you are surrounded by greatness and people aren't holding you back um, and I guess that I saw that in Jack you know like he, he, he he's a pretty incredible person he, he gets a bit of flack from, uh, from other people that don't really know him, but he has a side to him that's um, a really gentle side, but also a lot of passion and a lot of drive and wants to achieve amazing things. And I, I wanted to be a part of that. Oh
0: yeah. And initially you started off as Jack's cinematographer, right?
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's right. Because I guess my, my job ended um, at the at the airbase base um, with Boeing um, I didn't know where to go really um, Jack just started his buyers agency buyers agency sort of career um, and I was a bit confused like I didn't want to leave Newcastle um, and he's like oh why don't you come why don't you come work for me I was like oh what, what can i do he's like oh, i don't know you can just be my assistant or something and then he was obviously doing a lot of uh, a lot of content and i was always sort of into photography and um you know being creative on that side um and i said oh i should just become your, your videographer so um yeah me me and hendo just getting around uh when he first started he was completely new to the industry, and I was just following him around with a with a camera. It was pretty funny, yeah. <laughs>
0: especially
1: and- especially in the eastern suburbs, people were just like, "Who who is this? Who are Who are these two people?"
0: <laughs> and obviously, like, I'll, I'll I'll get into this more. But what was Jack like back then? Just quickly, just first starting out to now, have you seen Jack change, or is it the same old Jack? that? Nah. Just- Look, so,
1: so definitely, it's definitely the same. Jack. He's he's gotten a lot more mature, I would say. Um, but same same drive, probably bigger ambitions. Everything's bigger with Jack, you know. <laughs> Everything's bigger. We'll go home. So, but the biggest thing is probably the maturity, um, the maturity side, but also the the ability to grow his business and make everyone else, um, you know. Succeed in their dreams as well. Um, he's such a big believer in that, so it, it, it's good having someone on your side like that and to look up to as well.
0: Mm. Now, great side note, but I want to get back to you. So, videographer turns into buyer's associate. Yeah. Well, that. I,
1: well, the beauty the beauty of being behind the camera is that you're essentially there listening. And seeing it in first person, and then I got the, uh, then I got the experience of you know sitting at the computer and editing. So it was double information of what Jack was saying. He's very knowledgeable in, in the market. He knows he knows how to buy a property. He knows a lot about investing, um, and I was just absorbing that every day. So that got me excited, I guess. Um, after after you know after nearly a year i was i guess for me it was about trying new things and this thing i've tried it and it, you know it wasn't for me the videography thing and I, I always had in the back of my head i was like oh, i really like this sales this sales kind of role it's um it's exciting it's always pushing yourself further um, and that's when i made the switch i guess
0: and and now we'll talk about not being a natural salesman and how, how that evolved, but now that you, you've been doing it, how long have you been doing it for? Uh, it'll, be coming,
1: it'll be coming up to, well, I, I reckon well, essentially a year, but mm-hmm. I, I would say two years with the videography.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Do you, think, do, you think this is, do you think this is what you'll be doing until you won't be working? Do you see yourself in this field for the long run?
1: Uh, look for the next, I'd say next ten years. Definitely, definitely this this realm. Um, I see it as maybe a gateway. I've always I've always looked into developing, even when I was younger. Um, but I haven't really thought that much ahead at the moment, to tell you the truth. But this the set where I see sales so so beneficial for me is that it's going to lead into lead to areas where I never thought I'd I'd be able to with the I guess the confidence and the ability to talk to people because that's essentially what it is is being able to be confident in front of people and talk to anyone um, and be entertaining charism- charismatic educational all these things that you know people look for in a person um, so. I definitely know within myself. There's been, it's given me a huge confidence booster. It's given me the ability to keep learning. It's making me want to learn more, but also how to speak with a bit more content and enthusiasm. Um, so, looks you use sales everywhere, right? It's a, it's a it's a negotiation tactic that you use to go when you go to order a coffee or you go talking to your girlfriend or in the surf, you're always talking, you're always <coughs> interacting with people um, and it's about uh, having great conversations, I feel.
0: And is that the reason why I think from even from when I started in February <laughs> to now, which is August 18th, you've just developed so much as a salesman. Um, your confidence is so much higher on the phones when talking to potential clients. Like, what does that come down to? Where have you found that confidence and where have you learned it from? And where, where, where are you pulling your information to make, your, to make yourself a better salesman?
1: It's just practice, I think. Like when I first started on the phones, I couldn't even have a conversation. I was like, it was, I look back now, it was so funny. Um, so it's just practice um, and hard work, putting in the hours, um, constantly, constantly looking for new information of of how to better yourself um and just repeating it gets repetitive it's not it's not it's not exactly exciting it's the same shit over and over um and it's just getting it's just refining your skills um you know getting rejected 90 percent of the day it's definitely not for everyone um but for me I, i love it you know i like the thrill i like the chase i like um I like looking to interact with people. I like having cool conversations and, you know, you can look back on how all your hard work and, you know, when you buy someone a property, it's a pretty amazing feeling.
0: And when you look at yourself now, have you seen that confidence in yourself increase?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's a, it's a slow process and because it happens so gradually, you often forget how far you come. So... You know, now I can do. I'm doing sign up meetings on my own. Whereas, you know, only only a year ago I couldn't even pick up the phone and have a conversation with someone. I was so nervous. I was so scared of what I was going to say or not to say. Um, dealing with dealing with people that aren't exactly the most, I guess, nicest people to you on the phone. Dealing with rejection, all these things. You just get immune to it. It's, I, I just see it as a, as a fun job now. I, I I look at it in a different way. It's I look at it as a game. Well, that's a, that's that's the ability to to make it fun.
0: Oh yeah. Um. Obviously, I know you're working as well, so I better start wrapping it up. But just a few quick few quick-ish fire questions. Mm-hmm. What 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 motivates you now? Like when when you wake up, what what motivates you?
1: Mate, especially now, what's happening in the world? Just the ability to to actually wake up right not not everyone gets to breathe fresh air and drink clean water and have a nice bed to sleep in um, eat good food exercise have the freedom the, the, the small majority of the world that actually has that so biggest thing that i'm learning at the moment is gratitude having having gratitude and not not getting down i have a lot of self love I know there's a lot of self doubt in me and, it, and it's something that I'm constantly improving and constantly just acknowledging and that it's, a, it's only my beliefs and it's not true. So I have to constantly remind myself that these are just, these are things that you've learned in the past. And, you know, if, if it's not a positive way of thinking, then why, why go down that Avenue? So <clears throat> that's, that's a big thing for me. It's, it's, been happy with where I am at the moment because only six months ago I wished that I was in this space where I am now and doing the things that I'm doing and enjoying the process, not that not the outcome from you know the wise words of Jehu Dao. Oh
0: yeah. And you you just said that self doubt. When it comes to overcoming it, is it just saying how how have you overcome your self doubt? I know you just touched on it, but I, I really want to know like a little in a bit more detail.
1: It's about, for me, it's having a conversation with myself. I've got a lot of, uh, let's call it head noise at times, um, and it's the same as having a conversation with your best mate or your girlfriend or whoever it is. You can have a conversation with yourself, and if you're constantly putting yourself down, then why do you want to hang out with that person? Mm -hmm. So um, it's about acknowledging and going, look, Sam, that's not useful for me. Scrap it, you know? And the more that you do it, the more that you practice it, that get, becomes less and less. And um, I'm reading the book Principles at the moment. And it's about, he uh, it talks about, you know, having problems in your life and how to deal with them. And no matter where you are in your life, if you're the most richest man or the poorest man, you're still going to have these problems in your mind that come. And it's about, you know, weaving through them and, Dealing with the ones that need to be dealt with and then the ones that you don't want to waste your energy on, push them to the side and let them let them disappear.
0: You, you answered my follow-up question, which is what you were reading. So that's that's that one, Tig <laughs> Big Ray Dalio's principles. Mate, to wrap up, um, if you were back, back when you were 18, 20, around that age, with this new... Um, what's the word, with this new awareness and self-respect um, and personal development that you have, how, how, how would you go about it?
1: If I was what? Sorry, if I was doing it again.
0: Yeah, If you were, what advice would you give Sam Black of 18, 20 years old? Oh, okay. Um, Sorry, that was very long-winded wasn't it, that.
1: Look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything in my life, to tell you the truth. Um, everything happens because it happens. The biggest thing for me, though, would probably be taking action quicker. But I wouldn't be in this space if I didn't go down that route anyway. So, you know, who knows where I could have been if I stopped drink. Dr- the biggest thing for me is drinking alcohol and mm. doing substances. You know, I guess I was. It was my way of escaping. I, I partied probably you know ten to twelve years especially overseas every weekend. It was just a way to escape, um, not have to deal with, with your problem, not have to deal with, you know, the, the boredom, not have to deal with um, feeling fresh because when you're feeling fresh and your mind's active, you always want to be doing something, you know, and if you're bored, well, then you're just going to dive down into these substances to take away the, the pain. So, um, look, I, I never think that I was a, like a, a drug addict or an alcoholic, by any means, but I definitely, I definitely abused it in a way that made me think differently of myself. So, yeah, it's, look, am I ever going to drink alcohol again? Yeah, for sure. Am I going to drink it every weekend? No, never. Like this year, this year of sobriety that I'm doing, it's been like the best thing that I've ever done in my whole entire life. I, I, like it, it's been a goal of mine for so many years and i always knew that i was addicted to alcohol but and i could stop whenever i wanted um, and this just proves it you know like I, I'm, I'm nearly i'm nearly finished a year and i don't feel like drinking one bit of alcohol ever again um, so yeah that's probably the biggest advice for me would be and for anyone out there who's like if you if you're drinking excessively and going out every weekend to escape your, your shit job or all the or the pain of not being able to do anything because you don't have any hobbies or anything like that, like go out there and fucking find something. Find something to do and be active and start treating your body with a bit more respect.
0: Mikey, this is I've got to say, it has been it's been real, it's been real to sit down and have this conversation. Um in a bit more of an intimate setting, because I think we have this conversation a bunch. Um, you, you, big Uncle Sam Black, does drop a lot of knowledge around the office. So, mate, thanks so much for doing this. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and, mate, all I wish you all the best.
1: Mate, you're a you're a, you're a legend. And it was a pleasure coming on it, and I uh, look forward to having many conversations and uh, being in your presence in the future, mate.
0: Thanks, mate. We'll talk soon, so. Seth. Yeah.